Hello everyone and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, I'm your host Ethan Bridge and thank you for joining me on today's episode. On today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking to Patrick Donahoe. Patrick is the president and CEO of Paragdim Life. He started it in 2007 after learning from his mentor Kim Butler about financial strategies outside of Wall Street. With a background in economics and marketing, Patrick immediately realised the opportunity to teach investors, business owners, professionals and families on a large scale using modern digital media and communication technology. Since 2007, Paragdom Life has worked with thousands of individuals. He has even shared the stage with financial experts such as Robert Kiyosaki and Donald Trump Jr. Now Patrick is the first guest on the podcast to discuss personal finance and its importance and he was kind enough to provide a more simplistic approach so that the episode can be enjoyed by all levels of expertise within the personal finance space. Now we specifically discuss the infinite banking policy which is a risk-free investment strategy. Sounds great right? Which I urge you all to listen to extremely carefully as it's something you should definitely take away from this episode and implement. I found this conversation extremely valuable, being somebody who is becoming increasingly interested in this niche, so I can't wait for you all to hear what Patrick has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into the episode. Enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. I have got a fantastic episode lined up for you today because I have Patrick Donahoe on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, Ethan. How about, uh, how about you? I'm, I am fantastic. Another, another great day I'm an, and another podcast call. So how can I complain? So for the listeners that don't know who you are, if you don't mind just giving us a quick 60 second introduction of who you are and what you do, please. Uh, sure. So I, I'm, uh, I was born and raised in the U.S. Uh, on, the east, on the East Coast in central Connecticut. I uh, moved out West, uh, got married, have uh, I've been here since 2003 in Salt Lake City, Utah, so northern Utah. And I, I have uh, two teenage girls and a five-year-old boy. And, and I'm, uh, I, I, run, I run a company, I run a podcast, I'm involved with uh, some startups. I yeah, I'm, I'm one of those just anxious guys in the financial uh, financial space that is just part of a lot of different uh, opportunities. I, I help coach uh, financial advisors. I have a team of about 20 advisors here and a support staff of about 40. And I've been doing it since uh, since 2007. It's, it's somewhat unique though because the financial world is in large part uh, still face-to-face, like physically face-to-face, but I built my practice around the internet so our clients reign, you know, they're all over the U.S., multi, uh, several countries, because we've been able to uh, interface, teach, uh, consult uh, over, uh, over the web through video conference. And uh, it's, been, it's been awesome. It's been really fun, challenging, uh, but, but, really, uh, but really fun. It's cool how you mentioned the whole uh, video conferencing thing, because obviously times are changing. People have got to adapt. So in other ways, it's quite useful for your business, because as you say, clients all over the place, don't have to fly and see them. No, and they're getting, and I think people are getting used to doing business without being face to face with someone. It was difficult, you know, because I started in two thousand and seven, 
right before they had video conference. I think Adobe Connect was one of the first, you know, web conferencing apps that had a video, but like it was so clunky and, you know, the bandwidth issues, uh, but it is, it is evolved so much since, uh, since then. It's really easy to do right now, easy to podcast, easy to interview, easy to, to consult, easy to share information. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's made our jobs a lot, a lot easier. But as I mentioned, you know, the, the, the space of financial services is usually face-to-face. And even though there's huge opportunity with doing things virtual, I think people usually stick to their habits, stick to what they're used to, and haven't necessarily uh, conformed to the new ways of doing things. So it's, it's given us a you know, strategic advantage. For sure. And I, I would say I can't wait to dive more into what you do and how you do it. Because as I said before we started, we haven't, I'm yet to have a personal finance guru on the podcast so this is something new obviously something i'm becoming increasingly interested in as i get older so i can't wait to find a little bit more about that but the way i like to start all of my podcast episodes is to throw it back with my guests and ask them about their younger selves so predominantly focused a time around when they were at school so let's focus on a 14 year old version of yourself how were you at that age? How were you at school? Were you the class clown, straight A student, or did you just do enough to get by? Wow, that's a fourteen. I'm trying to think of fourteen. <laughs> I, I have a I have a fifteen year old and a thirteen year old, so I can I, I can definitely answer those questions for them. Uh, for me, for me though, I think I was a probably eighth grade or ninth grade about in, in high school. Yeah, those those years were interesting. You know when. Uh, I, I grew up playing hockey and a lot of my life just always revolved around it. Uh, and, and for the most part, you know, I was really, really quiet uh, and, and shy growing, growing up and kind of broke through that after, you know, after my formative years. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't really get into a lot of trouble. I was shy and I was, you know, my, my dad uh, raised us in kind of the hockey, the ice hockey world. And so I, I was, that's what I, that's where I lived and breathed. I, I wasn't necessarily, uh, I was kind of one of those like C students, B students. Like I couldn't sit still, like it, it was really boring to me. And, you know, and, and, you know, I always questioned kind of the status quo when it came to, uh, ed- education. I didn't really know how to articulate that until, uh, recently last, you know, five, 10 years, you know, but I, I looked at, you know, my, my school experience in those formative years wasn't that great. You know, I, I didn't really have any teachers that inspired or motivated me, uh, and and I found most of my motivation in in sports as as opposed to, uh, you know, as opposed to, to education, uh, and yeah, so I'll leave it at that. I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I lived in a my parents were uh, both teachers as well. You know, I have two younger brothers. We were all pretty close in age, so we we all grew up playing sports and. You know, and, and yeah, I look in hindsight as far as like how those events and experiences shaped my, my personality and, and how I am now. And, you know, and I, you know, I look at, you know, sports being a big, uh, big part of my drive, but also like my relationship with, you know, my, my parents, right? I think we, we often don't realize how profound of an influence our parents have on us because we naturally biologically want their, you know, want one of their approval more than others, typically the one that doesn't give us as much attention or love or, or affection. And, you know, and wanting to do that, I think everyone comes to these conclusions as far as how they behave, how they operate. And subsequently, you know, the, the love and affection they get as a result of that and carry that into, you know, their adult years. 
And in my adult years, you know, I, I look at my father always drove us to work hard, uh, put forth, you know, A plus effort. He was like the anti-nepotist. So we never got any handouts or favorites, you know, and so it was, uh, it, it was challenging to an extent. I look at hindsight and, and look at that challenge being something that I'm incredibly grateful for because it helped uh, to keep me disciplined and helped me to, to work really hard and, and pursue something knowing that I could get it. Uh, and kind of the rest is history. You know, there's some downsides to that, but at the same time, like I look at my, I, I had a pretty good childhood looking back on it. It was, uh, it was fun. It was challenging, but uh, you know, I wouldn't change anything. And for sure. And without it, you wouldn't be where you are today. So it's clearly, clearly done you a lot of favors. Um, so where did the interest in personal finance all begin? Uh, well, I, you know, I did, I did a, a church service. I uh, took a couple years off of college uh, and, and I played, co- I played hockey in college, but took a couple years off uh, and did some volunteer work. And when I, when I got back and looked at really what I you know, wanted to do major in as far as school is concerned, uh, my, a buddy of mine uh, gave me two books. He gave me uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he gave me uh, Millionaire Next Door. And the millionaire next door was, you know, it was it was a decent a, a decent read, but not necessarily inspiring. But Rich Dad Poor Dad was one of those books that really allowed me to see a new perspective of education, of profession, career, uh, money management, wealth building. So that's wh- that's where it started. Is is there? And, and ironically, I was doing a an internship at the Hartford Public School System. And it was an inner city, you know, it was a bilingual department. It was focused really on the inner city. And I got to see the inner workings of the educational system. So reading that book, which is very anti-traditional education, uh, really awakened me to some of the possibilities uh, outside of what, you know, I would say most of us are, are taught to do, you know, go to school, get a job, uh, put money away until we were old and then use it to not have to work, you know, use it then so we don't have to work anymore. And, and I believe that that you know that that theory is is completely uh, being thrown on its head, and the evidence is everywhere now. Not so much you know ten fifteen years ago, uh, but you know that, that's where that's where it started. And then I was fortunate enough through a series of relationships, uh, professional relationships, to uh, to meet uh, Kiyosaki's uh, actual financial uh, advisor, like her, her his personal financial advisor. And I I work with with Kim. Uh, today and you know she's written several books and we've you know, done some joint joint things together with our firms. Uh, but that's that's really where it started. It's first reading that book, getting interested in sales, money management, investing, uh, and then subsequently meeting uh, Kim Butler, who's who was at, at uh, one point one uh, Robert Kiyosaki's financial advisor, and you know she you know, she taught me uh, quite a bit and, and exposed me just to a new way of, of thinking through personal finance and investing. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the, the long and short of it. I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was, see, I never used to be a big reader um, up until mid last year. And then I bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think it's a, it's a great first book to start on. And I, I used to didn't think I liked reading. I just didn't think I liked reading. But I'd had, what I didn't realize was I didn't like reading things that, I didn't, I didn't like reading storybooks is what I came to realize. And that all of these personal development books, personal finance books, I was super interested in. As soon as I picked up Rich Dad, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
I haven't been able to put a book, put a book down since. And well, so there has to be an emotional connection to it. Yeah. Right? And, and typically with, with reading, it's like an investment, right? You, you want to get out of it more than you put into it. And so that's where I look at, you know, those that become enthralled in reading and stories and, and, the, and the fantasy associated with it, but they do it because they've connected emotionally, right? To, to, to what it gives them being able to, uh, you know, read about stories, be excited about certain, certain events. Uh, and that's why, you know, series like uh, multi, multi-book series are, are really popular because it continues, you know, that, that story. But I look at personal development. And you got to connect a, you got to connect something to it that's meaningful that is going to benefit you. And I think that's where you know the personal development world uh, resides, right? Is being able to understand yourself better, learning through books in order to improve your experience of life. And, and that could be you know what you choose as a profession. It could be uh, who you choose as a mate. Uh, it could be where you live, right? But I think when individuals connect, right, learning and education with how they can have a better experience of life, then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll now be a reader. So here's a quick fire question then. If you had to recommend any book other than Rich Dad, Poor Dad, what would it be? Uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Definitely. I'm going to pick up a copy as soon as we finish this call. Don't, don't so, let it, don't let it be a, uh, <laughs> uh, well, what do they call it? A, a paperweight. Because it's a massive book, it's sixteen, seventeen hundred pages. Uh, that book will that book will blow your mind if you've never read it. Uh, that's a. I, I thought I just read Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, and that was seven hundred, and that's taken me three weeks to get through. So that will be a challenge. Yeah, I had dinner. I had dinner with Tim the Seriously? week before that book came out, and yeah, that was it. Was interesting, kind of hearing how he you know went through being published and you know why he chose certain things but yeah tools for you know tools for titans is one of those bibles right it's an encyclopedia mm. more so than a, than a book uh but yeah the atlas shrugged is is a full-on novel uh one of the well in my opinion you know, the, the best novel that's out there well fair enough so you graduated from the university of utah in 2005 and then you founded paragdom life in 2007 so there's only a two-year gap between you finishing university and starting your company so did you ever jump into the corporate world or was it something you simply simply started from finishing university and then built from the ground up yeah so i i I did i i jumped into um, some positions in in a financial company they uh, were part nonprofit. Uh, part sales, part finance, part investing. Uh, so yeah, I worked for them in, in a, a few different capacities. And then <clears throat> when I learned uh, from Kim about uh, Kim Butler, when I learned what she was doing, I convinced the owners of the company to, uh, to, to create a new arm of the company. Uh, and that's when I started to do what I do now uh, by myself. But in you know, 2008, 2009 officially is when, you know, their, their company went under, uh, and then I broke, I broke away and went solo. So, so how did you actually meet Kim then? Because that's sort of obviously what kickstarted it almost. Yeah. So she was, she was speaking cause she, she lived at the time, I think in, in Arizona, she lives in Texas now, but she was speaking at an event. Uh, and I was actually participating in, in the event. Uh, with this other other company, so that was my initial, you know, my initial meeting of her. But I I met someone that knew her really well, 
And, uh, and so, yeah, so it's one of those like re- relationships make the world go round, you know, seven degrees of, or six degrees of separation or like three now, it's who opinion, you, maybe two. It's all about who, it's all about who you know. And that's something I'm yeah, trying to focus on. Who this not how. Yeah, who not? There it is, and that's something I'm trying to focus on this year as well. Hence, also why I started the podcast, just sort of building my network, getting to know these incredible individuals, and learning what they're doing. Surrounding myself by people I aspire to be like. It's the only way you're going to improve and learn. So, and ever since starting, it's been incredible. It has been, and I can't see myself stopping anytime soon. So now that I've now that I have a full-time job and I'm earning money, personal finance is obviously something that I'm becoming increasingly more aware of and interested in. Uh, so I'm reading books, listening to podcasts. But what I want to ask you is, what is the worst advice that you often hear people giving out? The worst, the worst advice? Yeah, so, to, to, so if you hear someone say to do this, do not do it. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I, I would say the worst advice that I, that I see is what it's the typical advice that's out there, right? It's, mm. uh, is giving money to someone who knows better than you, right? And hope that they are a wise steward of it. Oh yeah. Hope and that they will produce, you know, re- results that, uh, you know, that, that you can't, Right. And I, and I just believe that's false. And, that, and that's where the majority of advice is out there. Right. Which is mm. give your money over to a professional and they're going to work their magic and somehow give you money 30 years down the road. That's worth more than today. <laughs> I just don't think that that, yeah. And, that, and that's where, you know, I, I've, I've realized recently, like I've, I've never been a status quo person. Like I've always questioned uh, authority. I've always questioned, uh, you know, the typical way of doing things, the unquestioned strategy, right? The, uh, the unaudited strategy, the unscrutinized strategy or, or, or advice. And so that's where I, I always look to the contrarian side of it. And so I look at, you know, the, the typical advice that's given here in the U S which is put your money away with one of these professionals for 30, 35, 40 years. And at that time, you're going to have enough that you don't have to uh, work anymore. I think that's stupid advice. I think it's a hugely risky bet, uh, and I don't believe it works. Uh, and and so that's and that's where I argued, you know, in my book uh, that I came out with a couple of years ago. And and so that's yeah, that 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 type of advice uh, just, in my opinion, right, hurt, hurts people more than it uh, more than it helps people. For sure. So let's sort of dive into your book a little bit then, because. That's what in it is one of the methods that I want to discuss and one you're obviously extremely familiar with, which is the infinite banking policy. So you've written a book, Heads I Win, Tells You Lose, which almost implies that this strategy is risk-free. So I'll start by giving the listeners well, the good. Yeah, and I'll qualify that because it's, you know, it's a saying, heads I win, tails you lose. I mean, it's, a, it's a saying which, signif- which signifies uh, you know, setting yourself up so that you win no matter, no matter what. Yeah, and the book itself, the strategy. There's multiple strategies within the book, but I think the ultimate, the ultimate strategy has a few different, uh, few different ingredients. For sure. So, I'll start by giving the listeners the definition of infinite banking, which is 
Infinite banking refers to the whole life insurance payout when you die. Since whole life insurance policies always pay out as long as the premiums are paid, a person can continue to borrow against their insurance policy throughout their life. So now if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go go into this strategy in a bit more detail because obviously that definition is extremely vague. So, but do it in a, as if you were talking to a complete investment novice like myself. Well, I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a step back then, right? Cause I, I, I think separating uh, strategy from, or I would say tactic from strategy, cause that's a tactic, right? The strategy side of things is, is ultimately going to give you a, a certain end result. And so I look at, you know, for, for you being in the, in the situation you're in in your life, right, it, it wouldn't be the same uh, recipe as it would be for someone that's like in their mid, mid to late 40s. So I look at, you know, I'll, I'll step back and kind of give my domino, you know, what's, what takes priority. Sure. The, the first thing, right, is organization and scorecard, right? So it's, it's understanding what a financial statement is and treating your financial life as if it were uh, a business, right? And it does have a financial statement, right? You're the asset, which means you're the one that's producing the income and you have expenses, whether it's living expenses, entertainment and so forth. Okay? The fundamental, you know, uh, equation there is make more than you spend, right? Uh, which is typically not the case these days, but again, that's, me- that's measurable. It's a measurable outcome with your income and expenses, right? You have cash flow as a result. Uh, then there's a balance sheet. So you have your income statement, and then you have your balance sheet. The balance sheet is your assets and your liabilities. Okay, most you know who are starting out, the novice uh, does not have uh, much in the way of physical assets, things that have have value, uh, and and they do have lots of liabilities. So the idea is to start to you know build income, put money aside, start to build your assets, and minimize, mitigate your uh, debt unless it applies to financing of an asset and, and maximize your, maximize your cash flow. Now, one thing I talk about in the book is this, and this is great for those that are starting out. It's the idea that there is a mirror to a financial statement and I call it the, the human life value statement. So if you think about all income, right, all income comes from, you know, something that's providing value. So looking at you, right, I, I consider a person their best asset. And figuring out ways in which you can maximize your income okay, takes priority for me. And ways to do that is continually invest in yourself, right? You're, you're doing it by reading books. You can go to seminars. You can take training. Uh, I, I really advocate the, the different personalities, strengths, uh, and uh, you know, the, the way in which you can understand yourself better, right? Myers-Briggs, Culture Index, Colby. Uh, DISC. These are all assessments that you can take that help you better understand yourself. And when you know that, then you can start to direct your profession, your career into the areas that align with who you are. Because oftentimes people will choose a career because of money, not because it gives them fulfillment. But I look at those that make the most money or the most wealthy, their income and their profession uh, you know, align with uh, who they are, right? Their, posi- their position. And they're always figuring out ways to provide more value because when you provide more value, you make more money. So that's the idea is that, you know, with the human life value income statement, right, you're focusing your income around where your strengths are and the expenses is what you pay for because those are the things that you're not good at. So you associate your income with who you are and maximizing that. And then the expenses is to pay those uh, who are good at the things you're not good at 
uh, and make sure that obviously there's more income than expenses. And then assets and liabilities, those are basically what those strengths uh, and weaknesses are. Okay? Build up your assets and delegate your, uh, your weaknesses to, to somebody else who uh, has that as an asset, that, if that makes sense. So I would say young is figuring out where you are at with your financial snapshot, your financial statement, income statement, your income and expenses, and then your balance sheet, assets and liabilities. That right there is going to give you a scorecard. Then once you have a surplus, right, where you're saving, that's when you start to look at uh, ways in which you can make investments and put money into financial products. Okay. So that's where like the whole infinite bank and infinite banking is a, uh, it's not my intellectual property. Uh, no. We, we've referred to it as the, the perpetual wealth strategy, which we own the, the intellectual rights on. And the, the strategy is essentially uh, putting money into an insurance company as opposed to in a, a bank to create what we call your financial foundation, right? It's the, uh, the liquidity, the returns are the highest, plus you have other uh, aspects of working with an insurance company, other benefits that you don't have uh, by working with a, a bank. Uh, so that's where, that's where we start. And the idea behind doing that is because it's, I'm not sure if you if you understand what uh, asymmetrical, uh, you know, could, could be asymmetrical investment, uh, asymmetrical business. The asymmetry, right, is basically getting the highest return for the least amount of risk. So the reason why we choose insurance companies as where to house our liquidity, our financial foundation, uh, our savings, uh, is because they give you the highest return, the most benefits for the least amount of risk. But it's not the end-all be-all, right? It's not the only financial product that you use. That's where you start. You fill up your reserves, you create liquidity. It could be six months of your income, 12 months of your income. Uh, and then from there, now you start to make investment. But investments, like I said earlier, right? Some, it, it depends on the person, right? I advocate uh, really learning and understanding the uh, asset class that you want to make an investment in. Uh, and and then learning as much as you can about it so that when you start to make an investment with somebody else, you're able to ask questions and understand, you know, whether it's a good decision or not based on the questions that you ask. Uh, and that's where financial education comes into, comes into play. But you know, I've seen people crush it in real estate. I've seen people go bankrupt. I've seen people like become multi-multi-millionaires in markets and trading. Uh, but I've seen those that are completely bankrupt because of it. So it's really not the actual asset class. It really comes down to the individual investor and their degree of education. And so that's what I talk about in uh, the book as well, is how do, you, how do you measure that and where should you focus? So for the insurance companies specifically, but they tend to be mutual insurance companies because obviously they are effectively owned by their policyholders and operate right. in the best interest of the policyholder opposed to themselves. Cool. Yep. And that's so, one of the other, it's a criteria there where you essentially have, you know, built into the return, uh, an ownership percentage, an ownership right. And that allows you to take advantage of their operations, uh, similar to if you, you know, put money into a, uh, you know, a company in, in the form of equity uh, and you get a dividend from that. Okay? It's very similar here. The only difference is that there's, there's, there's no risk of, uh, of loss. There's contractual guarantees built in. Uh, and there's also a, a history that 
is unprecedented. It builds this moat around the, the insurance companies that's like, you know, seemingly impenetrable. So it's, it's one, of those, one of those hidden gems with the certain uh, insurance products that you can use uh, like you would use a bank account and, and subsequently uh, credit. So that's one other aspect which kind of gets into more of the confusing details, but insurance companies for, you know, for well over 100 years have built into these type of products a, uh, a credit line. So they will give you a loan, private loan, up to the amount of your account. So not only do you have your liquidity there, okay, they will give you an equal amount of that in credit. And that credit is really low interest rates, very flexible terms, which you can use personally or you can use uh, with, with investments that you acquire. For sure. And I suppose, say you are in a 6 to 7% yield on what you've got invested and you take out, say, an X amount and it's being you're being charged a 5% incre- uh, interest rate, you're still earning above the amount you're paying back in interest because you've got that much invested in the first place yep and the idea you know the idea is to use it you know as a again going to investment you want to use it for purposes that are going to benefit you Mm. right use it for what you would have used either uh, more expensive credit for or use it for an investment that's actually going to be paying a higher yield than the amount that it's costing you right because if you're going to be paying the insurance company on the line of credit at you know four and a half percent right? You're going to want a higher return in the investment that you're making, or you're going to want to invest that in yourself, a conference, a certification, uh, you know, a degree uh, in order to improve the income that you're making, right? So if you, you know, if if you take out $10,000 and you don't, and you go to a seminar and your income stays the same, not a wise investment. You want to go to a seminar, invest that $10,000 and be able to be even more valuable to your company and get paid, you know, $20,000 more, $30,000. Right. So that's, that's the idea. For sure. And obviously we are, we are due a financial crash. And because this within an insurance company, would this make this effectively crash proof? Yeah. And I, and I look at, you know, you got to qualify what crash means, right? I think there's, there's always cycles. You just never really know in hindsight, how long they are, how short they are, or what's the up, what's the down as far as the pendulum is concerned. You know, there's been those saying that there's a, a crash coming for, you know, five, six years, uh, and it hasn't happened, right? So I think that, that his history sometimes provides, you know, some, some variables to think about and trends. At the same time, it doesn't mean that that's what reality is going to be in the future. But I've started to look at the future, not in regards to a crash or a market downturn, um, but I, I look at it as, you know, just where, where opportunity is. Right now, we're at the height of markets, height of asset prices. I look at it as, okay, right now, there's not much opportunity, right? When things crash, when things correct, and that's kind of the, the lexicon of, of the typical financial world, okay, I look at that as there's lots of opportunities, right? So I redefine, you know, and reword those different periods of time in, in a market cycle, as where there's opportunities and where there's no opportunities. No, of course. And I, th- I thank you for talking about all of that as well, because as I said, this is increasingly becoming so much more interesting to me and I, I know I need to learn about it all. So this is a great opportunity to ask you as many questions as possible. So, But I also, maybe I'll qualify what I said before is um, when the emotions are like all positive, 
right? Mm-hmm. That's when I don't think there's many opportunities. When the, when the emotions, the, the aggregate, like the majority of people, when the emotions are the highest, when people are freaked out the most, that's when there's the most opportunity. For that's sure. another thing too, is a big part of investing is understanding you know, that you're a human and humans are uh, not wired rationally. Even though we think we are and we think we would behave in these situations a certain way, never, it, it never happens right? For some it does, right? But for most human beings, we're all wired emotionally. So when emotions run high, that's when there's opportunity, right? When it's negative. When emotions run high and it's positive, right? That's when I don't think there's many opportunities. That's at least no, how I, I've come to, come to understand it. For sure. And something that intrigues me as well is financial independence versus financial freedom. And I, I don't know where but I'm pretty sure I've heard you talk about this before, whether it be on one of your podcasts or someone else's, but your definition of the two and the distinction between the two was seriously interesting and in how you depicted each one. So if you don't mind, I'd like you to go, go over the two and how you differentiate them. Yeah. I mean, I think fr- freedom is like a freedom from, right? Mm. It's, it's kind of the, the nature of liberty, right? Freedom from an oppressor, right? Freedom from, uh, but independence is freedom too. Uh, and that's how I look at it, right? I think, I think there's, a, there's a difference. And so I look at, you know, financial independence, right? Financial independence is at first and foremost a, a mindset. And, you know, it's a mindset when you realize that, you know, you're, you're not concerned with being able to, uh, to, to make money, right? Being able to support yourself and being able to uh, have, a, have a good lifestyle. Okay? Financial freedom Right? How I look at it is when money is no longer the, the reason for living, right? And, I, and I, I qualify that, right? Because I think when you look at it, you know, people want to, I want to go, go visit, you know, uh, Paris, or I want to go visit uh, Sydney, Australia, or I want to take my kids to Disney World, right? It's one of those things where we, always, we all have these desires, but what, is, what typically happens uh, you know, when you state, this is what I want, I can't afford it. I don't have enough money. For it. So that's when, you know, financial uh, freedom is when uh, it's not the excuse, right? Uh, and I believe that financial independence comes first, financial freedom comes, uh, comes second. Uh, but how I define financial independence is being able to have a profession that uh, is meaningful to you. And what that means is that you, in the act of earning money, know that you are making the world a better place, operating within uh, your, you know, naturally, you know, given gifts uh, and, and, and intelligence. Like you, you have this connection to your profession, right? Where you look forward to doing it, but you do it on your own terms as well. It's not this, you know, have to do this, have to show up at nine in the morning and exit at five. I don't believe that, that that's not independence. Independence is being able to construct your profession uh, to a point where, you know, you love what you do and you do it on your own terms. And then uh, aside, you have cash flow with your investments that is producing monthly income that you, uh, that, that aids in your living the lifestyle that you want to live. I consider that financial uh, independence. No, and that's a, it's a great way to look at it. It is, it is. And obviously everyone is everyone does aspire for both it is a goal people and you know, people say money isn't everything but it it helps it does help 
Yeah, the person that usually says that is, you know, wants your money. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I look at it as, you know, with our evolving, you know, with, with the world, right? It's like you, you know, you're in a different country than I am. Uh, and you look at, you know, the, the rise of, well, let me ask you this question. Do you know the biggest, you know, per, per capita, the, the largest growing population of millionaires and billionaires? What, what country or continent do you think it is? Continent? Asia? You think, you think so. And I, that's what I yeah. thought, right? And I think they're, you know, from a number standpoint, you're definitely right. But from per capita, it's Africa. Right? So really? There's, there's, more pe- there's more people in Africa under the age of 30 than the entire population of the United States. And right now, you know, China is investing like hundreds of billions of dollars in, in Africa of all places. Now, anyway, so what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like our world is very quickly evolving into, you know, a, a, a universal marketplace. A translation is so much easier. Google kind of has it all figured out. It just comes down to, you know, the efficiency of the technology, right? But there, the border idea from a commerce standpoint is going to be obsolete, in my opinion, in the next 10 years. Plus, you have a huge transferring of wealth between the old that, you know, uh, are going to be passing away and the, and the young, right, who are now getting into the professional space. That transfer is going to be huge because right now a lot of that older wealth is dormant. It's not being used for the most productive purposes. When it changes hands, I think that's going to change. So the world, right, is getting to the point where I, I believe that pro- the professional world, the work world, is also going to change. Uh, you're seeing more work from home jobs. You're seeing mix where it's one day, two days home, a couple days at the office, you know, and, and you have companies that are, you know, worldwide now and have positions everywhere and operate, you know, mostly remote. So I look at, you know, a person that's, you know, maybe starting out in their career in a profession that they don't like, uh, but they, you know, see relevance to doing something that they're good at there's going to be more and more positions that open up that provide flexibility so that you can experience life at a level where you don't have to show up and have to do this and have to do that because, you know, a boss is telling you, uh, telling you to, I think it's evolving, you know, to, to that, to that point. And it's clunky in a sense, cause I, you know, we have a bunch of, a lot of employees here and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I believe that the tools you know, that Zoom is creating, that Facebook is creating, that Google is creating, is making it really easy for companies to be remote. Uh, and that provides opportunities for those that, you know, I would say are in a younger demographic starting out to really look at what they need to do, right? Whether it's certification, education, experience, in order to be in the position where they do meaningful work, but do it on their own terms. For sure. And especially with the younger demographic, the jobs they end up doing might not even exist yet. There, might, there could be an industry platform, anything that comes out and new jobs created. And that could be what half the people end up doing. They just don't know it yet because it doesn't exist. Yep. And it's, it's, it is fascinating. So I, I, know, I mentioned this before the show, but I have a new segment in my podcast where I discuss with my guests what they believe to be their two biggest failures in their journey so far. So... Um, if you could give me your, what you believe to be your first biggest failure and we'll discuss. Yeah. And how, and you know, I'll, I'll qualify the word failure. Cause I, you know, I, I don't use that word anymore. I, I you know, I, it was interesting. I had a, a really vivid dream a couple of weeks ago and 
you know, it was, it was with my, my 15 year old uh, daughter and I was in our backyard and I knew that it was 2018 because I was uh, talking to her about what her first year in high school, right? Which is kind of the last year's, you know, the, the last schooling here in the States. Uh, and if you guys are high school musical fans, like the, the, the high school, that high school musical was filmed at is actually the high school she goes to. It's the one right, you know, right next to my, my house. Uh, that's a side, side note. She's a fre- <laughs> you know, she's a freshman. She's her first year and she's had a really difficult year. Uh, plus we had a dog that our family was really connected to that died this past summer. And in my dream, I was talking to Hannah about what was to happen over the next year. Uh, but then the dream went to all of like these, what I call impact points of the last 10 years. And what I would construe as a failure, right? I had a million of them, uh, but I went back and looked at them and it's something that I, I feel blessed to have had. That's kind of the ending of the dream is I wouldn't change any of it uh, because of how it shaped me into uh, you know, what I'm doing right now. And I'm sure I'm going to have you know, what is typically referred mm-hmm. to as a failure in the future. But my big, you know, the two biggest ones you know, to, to go back to all have to do with people and, and leadership. Uh, so for, for me, you know, the first one was I put uh, my professional life ahead of my family. And I didn't do it. In, I, I didn't do it like knowingly. I did it because of what I mentioned in the beginning. Like I, I was so wired to get love and affection by working my ass off. But that's all that I did. And I just, you know, intuitive, you know, it was like internally that I just expected that that's all I had to do. And that's, that's how I would gain, you know, affection from my, my daughters, my son and my wife. Uh, and it was totally not true. They didn't want any of that. In fact, they wanted kind of the opposite of that. So I made a connection to that where, you know, when I started to define what I wanted in the different areas of my life, now I started to, you know, understand the rules by which I actually achieved achieved instead of failed. So I would say that's my first failure is putting uh, my, my work ahead of uh, my, my wife and my kids. So and, with, uh, that, and then, with that one, um, do you have any tips now then for the listeners with how you should balance your time or how, you've, how you now balance your time between your work and your friends, family and loved ones? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I look at, because uh, I think balance, I don't think balance is possible. So I, I, I've started to use the word mix. So my mix of life. So what I, what I did was, and it doesn't mean that it's like, okay, now I'm going to spend two more hours at home. I don't think it has to do so much with time as it has to do with focus. So what I have, you know, what I concluded is really understanding what my kids wanted, what my wife wanted, uh, where they felt that it would be a, uh, an amazing, what they wanted is like the ideal relationship with me. Uh, and, and so I, I started to understand that, you know, for my wife, it was more of attention, presence. Uh, and focus, right? I wasn't distracted. And so, and it didn't, you know, obviously you come home at certain uh, parts of the day, but it was more of like, when, when you're there, be there. Don't be at work. Don't be in your head, be there. And it was difficult, really difficult to do, right? Disconnecting uh, from, you know, the mindset, my, my professional mindset, and then, you know, connecting with them when I got home. But it's magic, man. It's like ridiculous. Mm. It's like, you don't have to go home and be like, the, you know, the problem solver, right? Uh, and you can go home, right? And just be the listener and, and the person that's present and be fun. And it's like a freaking miracle. 
Uh, right. So that's, that's a, that's a big thing. It's, it's number one, yeah. it's understanding, you know, I understood my wife and what she really wanted. And then I got to understand what my kids really want. And then I just gave it to them. Right. But it's one of those things where I, I start, I stopped assuming and, you know, I started asking and listening. For sure. So would you literally be mid conversation then and feel like you just weren't in the room and then your wife would go to you? Did you listen to me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. And that's the biggest like turnoff. Right. It's like ma- it, with my wife, it's magic. It's like all, you know, and I call it her, her meta report, but it's about, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. She just needs to dump information on me. She doesn't want me to solve problems. She doesn't want me to like, she, all she wants me to do is be there, be present and listen. Right? Yeah. And it isn't necessarily something that she's told me. It's like, I've just, I've just figured, figured that out. Uh, and then with my kids, like I know what my, my kids want. They want attention. Uh, they want help. Uh, and, and they want, you know, that same, that same type of presence. Uh, but then we pre-plan, you know, some vacations each year and, and time, time away where things are just completely disconnected in all, you know, in all regards, their school, my work, my business and, and so forth. So it's, it's good. And we're all, and we're constantly working on, on ways to improve it. Right. So I'm not saying it is perfect because uh, it's not, uh, it, it's, it's, it's definitely improved and it's, you know, been a result of having a very challenging time connecting with my kids and connecting with my that's the, I would say that's the, that's the first big lesson for me. No, and thank you for sharing that, obviously, because that's personal to you. It's family. So, and, but being personal, it's going to be relatable to a lot of people that are listening. So, again, very much appreciated. So, what's failure number two? Uh, failure number two, I would say, is, uh, is, is, leadership, is my leadership. Um, you know, I, I got to the point where I had so much weight. It felt like I had so much weight on my shoulders regarding work. And, and the business and its well-being and people's well-being. And, you know, I, I hired some people that I shouldn't have hired. I put them in positions I shouldn't have put them in. Uh, and then I didn't show up as a leader uh, in, in, the right, uh, in, in the right times. And it was because of my own, you know, I would say insecurities, inadequacies. Uh, but I lost some friendship. I lost some friendships out of it. It was really difficult lessons uh, by you know, people wanting you to show up as a leader, but you not wanting to show up as a leader or not knowing how to show up as uh, as a leader. And so I've worked on that. I'm still working on it. I don't, I don't show up all the time. And, but I know, you know, I, I know the, you know, I would say archetype that, you know, I need to embody in order to, to show up as a leader that uh, helps move my company forward. Cause I believe that, you know, if you are either a manager or a company, like if, if a company is having issues, it all comes down to you. You are the biggest, you know, you're the biggest variable to a business failure or to a business success. Uh, it's, the, it's the leader. And so understanding leadership, understanding myself better, showing up authentically, uh, but then also being able to handle uh, challenges. And that was my big thing. It's like I had these expectations for how people should work, what they should do, uh, you know, how they should talk, how they should perform. <laughs> you know, and it was, all, it was all based on what I, you know, what I did. <laughs> So and it's not their business. these expectations on people, assuming that they wanted the same thing as me, and knew what I knew, uh, and wanted what I wanted. Uh, wanted, and, and so I look at you know my inability to connect with you know uh, those you know, the people that were under me that I had stewardship over in difficult times. You know, it was uh, it was humbling, man. It's like, yeah, that, that was you know, and I would part of me wants you know part of me regrets it. Part of me wants to change it, but at the same time, I wouldn't know what I know now. Uh, so it's, you know, leadership is, I think, a big thing. And I believe that leadership, if you, the seeds of leadership, I think, are in most people, right? 
It's just acknowledging that, having the confidence to acknowledge it and then work on it. And working on it really has to do with your interaction and communication with other people. Uh, but if you, if you have those, uh, if you have those characteristics naturally, amazing. Uh, if you don't, I believe you can, you know, work on them and I, people inspire people, right? People will follow a leader. Okay. They won't follow a boss. They'll follow a leader. Uh, and I believe that leadership principles have been written about for, you know, decades, probably millennia. Uh, but I believe that if you can really adopt those leadership principles, work on them, uh, do very honest and authentic assessment of, of how you show up and getting constructive feedback from others, it's going to help you reposition, you know, what you say, what you do, the language you use, the, you know, the, the physiological way that you show up to different situations of, of your business. Uh, man, it's, uh, it, it's huge. I mean, it, it, and it doesn't take that much. I would say the biggest, the, the biggest piece is just overcoming your, your own insecurity. Sure. Are you quite good with delegating authority then? Especially, I suppose, when you first started, did you find it difficult to let go of certain tasks because you always thought that you would be able to do it better? Or were you just quite pretty much right, get along, get on with that? No, for sure. For sure. No, I, I, um, you know, I would communicate, I would communicate, uh, you know, things that need to be done by others, delegate, uh, without being very clear about expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Having mutual expectations, you got to inspect what you expect. So th- yeah, to that, those were, yeah, those were really, it's really difficult to, uh, to delegate. And for me, I didn't really have ranges of accountability. It was like, you did it or you didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, I was pissed. Yeah, and and not just do it, but do it according to how I would have done. <laughs> for sure, and totally unfair. <laughs> obviously, thank you for sharing your two failures. Um, I have, I do, norm- I normally round off the episode with three questions that I've recently changed, so they're new questions, but they're very quick fire questions. But I'm going to add an extra one in for you today, so you've got four. So I'm going to start off with the extra one I've added for you, and obviously, it's being a keen investor. What is the best most most worthwhile investment that you've ever made so it doesn't have to be finance related it can literally be something that you've purchased on amazon so the best investment that i've made cheap or in a physical in a physical thing in a it can be physical thing it can be a therapy it can be it can be literally anything the thing that you've bought and thought wow i'm so glad i bought that uh coaching yeah i mean i i have a i have I've had multiple business coaches, uh, and right now I have two really amazing coaches. One used to be a therapist, family therapist. Now she works with, you know, executives and and businesses. She's been amazing, uh, and I see. And she lives here in in Salt Lake. But the other one is a, a Tony Robbins coach. So I I've, I've been part of his organization for uh, for a while now, uh, and that's been an incredible incredible investment. I see any, any like seminar, any, any conference that allows me to disconnect from where I'm at here um, and, and learn how to be more valuable uh, and be happier. Like that has been, those are, those have been the best investments. For sure. And I suppose without that original investment of where you actually met Kim, none of this yeah, totally would have been possible. But brilliant. So next question, who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? Uh, my brother. Why? <laughs> I don't know. He, he's just, he, he's, he's, he's a lawyer of all things, but he's meant to be a lawyer and he's super, he's super driven. And 
And what he's been able to accomplish uh, is really, uh, it's inspiring to me. He's my little brother. He's my younger brother too. But yeah, that's, that's who came to mind initially. So two brothers absolutely killing the game. Good for you both. Um, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Advice for I give my 20-year-old self? Uh, have more fun. <laughs> we always don't take things serious. too serious. Don't take things too seriously. Anything? So did you ever like travel? Take take time out and go on holiday? Were you just straight in with the work? And no, I mean early on it was like grinding, right? I've done a lot more of that now. I mean, probably fast last five or six years, I go on a you know kind of a retreat with my wife at least once a year, maybe sometimes two times a year. Uh, but it's more of like, you know, it, it took me two, three, four days sometimes to like unwind. Uh, I'm able to unwind way quicker now, right? And and just enjoy and have uh, have fun. Uh, also, it's, you know, I would say the perspective you have with regard to anything, right? It could always be worse. It could always be better. Uh, and I would say like understanding the here and now and, and focusing on what's amazing, what's good about it has been a huge you know, it's, it's how I've developed and, and what I look at uh, constantly, right, is the here and now because that's all that really exists and it's being able to make the most of it, even though it sounds somewhat cliche. <laughs> it, it's, 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 a, it's a fair point, though. It may sound cliche, but it is a fair point. But, so when you do go on holiday with your wife, are you ever able to switch off completely or is there still something always in the back of your mind? Um, no, I can't, I can't switch off completely. Right. I always I look at the world through the eyes of, of business opportunity. Uh, how how can I you know improve myself? How can I improve others? At the same time, it, that it, it that takes a backseat. Right. I'm able mm-hmm. to more focus on my relationship, which is ultimately what I want most. Uh, and so yeah, so it's it, yeah, you're never I, I I cannot you know just go on off hot cold. Right. It's it's still a mix, uh, but I've been able to reprioritize. <laughs> For sure. Um, my final question, and I ask this to, this is one I've kept standard throughout all of my episodes and it's a very morbid way to end the episode, but it's an extremely interesting question because I get so many different answers. Like I do not know what the guest is going to say when I ask this question and it's, are you afraid of dying? Uh, no, I'm not. I, we actually almost all died a a couple years ago on a plane. Our plane hit a a hailstorm. It was like my dog, it was my dog and my kids, you know, and it was on a commercial airline, right? But we hit a hailstorm and dove like 15,000 feet in less than a minute. And we thought we were all uh, going to die. So it was an interesting experience. Uh, it makes you think about things you otherwise would not think about. Uh, but it made me realize that I wasn't, af- I wasn't afraid. Sure. And did it take that experience to finally put it all into perspective? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Maybe I think that definitely, you know, I've never asked myself that question, you know, the, I've never faced that. I would say under understanding that, wow, I I am going to die. Right. Cause I think my biggest fear was dying and leaving my kids. Right. Now I look at, and, and my wife, we were all there together. And because we were there together, it was like, you know, wow, I'm, I'm good. I'm good because yeah. Anyway, so that must have been traumatizing. That must have been traumatizing, especially if you yeah. feel like the your your kids like completely terrified about flying ever since, or are they? 
Now, so one of the things we did, because we emergency landed in Denver, uh, which is about a, an hour and 45 minute flight from, from Salt Lake. And, you know, we, we got off the plane, like saw the plane, like the windshield was all shattered and the nose cone was like caved in. It was crazy. And we, I called my brother, my brother lives in Denver. So he was going to, you know, take us up for the night. We were going to you know, rent a car and drive home. Uh, but they had a flight ready for us. And I said, listen, I told my wife, I'm like, if we don't get on this plane right now, like this is all we're going to think about before our next flight. And we're going to be terrified the next go around. Mm. So we went to, you know, we, we took the flight, we got on the, we got on the next plane and, uh, and went home. And since then, you know, you, you, you think about it whenever there's turbulence, yeah, uh, and we fly a lot. I mean, we've probably flown and that was 2015. So yeah, we've, we've flown probably, you know, a couple hundred times since then. Yeah. Fair enough. And it's one of those, like, you know, it's one of those things that did it. It's, it's on your mind, but. I don't know. We have, so another thing that really helped was our, our next door neighbor was a, a, a 747 pilot in Asia. Uh, and so he came in and basically said like, listen, these planes are indestructible, right? Unless you know, there's some extreme things that can happen, but usually it's pilot error. Uh, but plane error, you know, is, is very unlikely. Uh, and then the pilot, you know, from Delta, all I fly is Delta because Delta usually will 95% are military trained uh, pilots. So, I, I, so we, that gave us some comfort. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And thank you for sharing that again. Also, very another personal experience. So, and another very different answer to the question, which is why I said why I ask it. It's always a different, interesting answer. But that is all I have for you with regards to questions today. And I thank you for answering them all incredibly incredibly well especially with regards to personal finance and being able to simplify it for my simple personal finance mind <laughs> but yeah so that was very very interesting for me but where can my listeners follow up with you with regards to social platforms your business email your website your book where can they find it all yeah probably the best kind of like hub, hub where you know links to all of that uh, are, are available is uh, the book website. So the book website is headsortailsiwin.com. Awesome. And I will leave that in the show notes below. So listeners can simply scroll down and click. Don't worry about remembering, scroll down and click. But Patrick, once again, I really appreciate your time. And thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. Hey, thank you, Ethan. It was a pleasure. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week. So you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals.